We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and I'm coming at you on 860-WGUL. We are the answer. I am your answer. I am your Dr. Bill, and I'm here to tell you the truth. Well, as, as much as I can figure out what the truth is. Now, for those of you who are just joining the show, my format is very straightforward. I stick to one theme. I talk about anything from nuts to soup, including medicine, including morals and values, ethics, politics, religion, genetics, anything and everything to deal with you and me, history, love it all. And I have a real interest, and if you have a specific topic you're interested in, call the station and let us know. By the way, this is talk radio. It is an an interactive station. It's an iHeart channel. And if you would like to join the show, we are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And I am your international Dr. Bill. I'm on the web at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. Click Listen Live. The box is now in the upper right-hand corner of the web page. used to be on the left. It's in the upper right. You'll get me between 9 and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. Today, we're going to take another look at the Planned Parenthood and the whole issue of abortion. I know you're sick of hearing me talk about it, so I've brought a guest on, Stacy. Washington. Stacy is a radio announcer and conservative leader in St. Louis, Missouri. I was there for a year as a freshman medical student. Stacy, welcome to the show. Hey, Dr. Bill. Thanks for having me on this morning. Oh, my pleasure. You make my my job a lot easier. <laughs> well, it's uh, this is not an easy topic, but I think the more we discuss it and the more people understand the seriousness of what's going on, the easier it will be to get Planned Parenthood off of the government dole. Well, I agree with you there. I think that um, if there's any organization that we are inadvertently or advertently or uh, made to pay for with or without our permission, then we need to stop it, whether we agree with it or not. uh, If other people don't agree and we haven't had a vote on it, we haven't had any real debate on it. Uh, then I think we need to stop it. It's one thing to say abortions are legal. It's another thing to say, Bill Handelman, you got to pay. No, I don't. Yeah, it's, and it's also quite another thing uh, because it, it's, it lends Planned Parenthood legitimacy. 
And this is something that I've thought about quite a, quite a great deal because I've always been baffled by the left and Democrats' absolute insistence that Planned Parenthood needs to be funded by the federal government. And under Barack Obama, they've seen huge increases in their funding. It used to be $365 million a year. Now it's uh, $528 million a year in taxpayer funding. And after considering it, it, it just seems to me that the logical reason is there, there's more than one reason, but the top two would be, number one, it's a pass-through facility because that $528 million to Planned Parenthood nests the Democrat Party $15 million a year in donations from Planned Parenthood Federation of America, the, the umbrella organization. And then the second reason is more insidious, but it makes sense. The federal government giving funding to an organization lends that organization legitimacy in the eyes of millions of voters who don't really pay much attention to news, but do pay attention to who the federal government sanctions for certain activities, like the EPA takes care of our water and our air, and the federal government uses other organizations that aren't part of the federal government to do functions that they can't do themselves, and they've designated Planned Parenthood as the provider of women's health care, when in fact their number one activity, 97% of their business is related to providing abortions that are paid for by the women who get them and partially funded by taxpayers. So defunding them is really, it, it delegitimizes Planned Parenthood and it takes away the cloak of, of invincibility and opens them up to further attack from the private sector. And that's all within our, our you know, our, our grasp right now with these new videos and this investigation that's just been going on. Yeah, you're right, and you know this is this is not to be. Uh, it's not unexpected. It's not to be considered all that out of character for Obama. I mean, he is our first black president, and he did come in with a large base of black votes. I'm, I'm guessing 98, 99 percent of black Americans, and black American women are by uh, by percentage the largest users of abortion uh, facilities at Planned Parenthood from the statistics that I have seen. So I think that there's a, there's going to be a, a political connection there as well for Obama. Uh, and uh, I certainly don't fault him for playing the politics. I mean, you can't become president if you don't, if you don't play a little politics and get certain groups on your side. But I agree with you 100% that we should not be paying the bill for this. And I certainly don't want to be donating to the Democratic Party directly or indirectly. Of course, we already are because I'm guessing the majority of government workers are going to vote Democratic because their jobs are tied to the government. And big government means more jobs, you know. Means right. Well, you, you see that when you look at the donor list for the largest corporations. One of the largest donors to the Democrats is the uh, federal employees. So it's the U.S. government as a group because federal employees are employed by the U.S. government and uh, other arms of the, the government that give in mass to the Democrats and to the president directly to organizing for America and Obama for America. So, um, and you're right, black women do comprise um, the largest statistical number of people who access abortion as a means of contraception. Um, it's not the number of black women who are doing it that's the greater number. It's the percentage per right. population that right. is the, the greater number. And so you do have that kind of implied support. But when you pull black women specifically on the issue, you find that they are pro-life. And a lot of them, especially those who are religious, find abortion to be something that they do not support. But on the other hand, 
they do not connect social issues with their voting patterns. So they don't vote for candidates based on whether or not candidates are pro-life. They vote for candidates based on whether or not those candidates support social programs that support the poor. So when you understand that division of, you know, voting patterns, then you see how women who are pro-life and attend church regularly um, and are actually, you know, not they're, they're not partial to abortion, but they don't see it as something that they need to vote for, why they would vote for candidates who are rapidly pro-abortion that don't represent their interests. Because, you know, we have 16 million fewer black people because of abortion. Almost 500,000 abortions a year are of black babies. More black babies are killed by abortion than are born alive in this country. That We, we just passed that threshold last year. So with 1.1 million abortions a year in the United States, and that number is down from 1.4, so, you know, we are improving things. We're still seeing a genocide of massive proportions, and it's almost 2 billion people who've been aborted since the passage of abortion in a number of nations, uh, abortion on demand in a number of nations around the world. Almost 2 billion people on this planet have been aborted. So we're talking about it's just a major issue that we've kind of allowed to just be beneath the surface, and it's time to stop that. It's time to put it at the forefront and end it. Yeah, and you know, I, I I I have a number of things to point out. One, as I've said before, uh, Black and Jewish Americans traditionally have not trusted states' rights because of the record that the Southeast had, and uh, they prefer the federal government to be involved and to step in and take control over a lot of things. And and you're right, the social programs that are administered by the federal government, most people do not tie uh, Planned Parenthood to those, and they're going to vote for the Democrat who's going to promise to maintain and, and uh, enhance and enlarge and grow those social programs. So that's not unexpected, and, and, and part of our job is going to be to try to sell people on the idea that at the state level we have control and we can stop any inequities that are going on. Uh, but certainly at the federal level, we have much less control. And although you may think that it's wonderful to have this program and you don't know anything about that and you don't care and I hear that at the lunch table all the time. How does abortion affect me? This is mainly the the Jewish and the Hindu doctors, uh, and you know they they have the big fight with uh, the right to life, and, and and they attach it to fundamental Christianity, which is uh, difficult, especially for the Jewish doctors to to reconcile with because of the atrocities that were committed over the centuries by Christians. And I think mm. the and, I think, <laughs> and, and the other reason that the Jewish and Hindu doctors say it has nothing to do with them is because they are the minority groups who have the least uh, number of women who participate in abortion. Jewish right. women abort at a rate of 1.7%. They only abort if the one disease that – I can't remember the name of it, but it's specific to uh, the Jew, having being of Jewish ancestry. So it's, it's a disease that – And it's Tay-Sachs. Yes, Tay-Sachs. So it's – that's if a only Jewish woman has that, she'll have an abortion. For any other reason, she will not abort. And it's it's their culture not to abort their babies because there's so few Jewish people on the planet as it is. Uh, they, they do not abort. So that's why Jewish doctors don't feel like getting involved in the pro-life issue has anything to do with them because they don't abort their babies. And then the, the uh, Hindus are the same. They don't believe in it. So, I mean, you can kind of see where they're like, we have bigger fish to fry. You know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, the, uh, 
unfortunately, or fortunately, since that's some of my bloodline, is that uh, there's a tremendous amount of influence wielded by this very small percentage of the population, the Jewish Americans. Now, they, uh, the, of course, the, the, the uh, Orthodox Jews don't believe in abortion. The Reformed uh, Jews, they're uh, okay with it, and uh, the percentage is small. That's true, but the percentage of the population that's Jewish in the United States is extremely small. So they, they probably are having abortions, at least percentage-wise, at about the same rate as Catholics. Um, the Catholics are the biggest because they're the big percentage-wise because they're the biggest population group. If you want to single out a population group at, by ethnicity or religious, so. But I think that the uh, liberal Jews who I eat lunch with every day are going to say, "Listen, it's a parasite," and they say that not because there's logic behind it, although they think there is. They say that because that's what Dr. Nathanson taught when a lot of these guys were growing up. So in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, that's all they heard. And, you know, before that, it, it wasn't even uh, an issue. And I think that some Catholics have, have gone the same route. But uh, I, I, as far as the Hindus go, they don't, they could care less. Abortion has been in their culture for thousands of years, and they don't even think twice about it. But I think they're also more intelligent, uh, selected out from people who came from Asia or people who came from Europe uh, to be a little bit more intelligent and they'll be more careful about birth control and not having unwanted pregnancies. So I think that there's a, uh, you know, there's a number of reasons that they're a little bit different, but because of the large influence they have, we really need to reach out to them with not with religion as much as with knowledge and science and, and reasoning. They're, they're not going to listen to religion. Yeah, and you're right, but, but, but the, the science and the logic and the reasoning are on our side in droves. You're, you're correct. We don't have to use um, a religious tack when we're discussing it. But, I mean, I, 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 don't, I actually don't have a preference for any way of discussing it other than to point out the facts surrounding abortion. And yes. the science is pretty clear. You have something that's growing, well, if we found something, even if it was a one-celled organism on uh, Mars and it was growing, we would say what? Life on Mars everywhere, which is like a headline. Life has been found on Mars. This one-celled organism would be the number one topic of discussion for weeks on end, and no one would say it's just a clump of cells or, you know, just flush it away. It doesn't have any feelings or, you know, it, it, it might cost too much to develop that one-celled organism or to take care of it or to prevent it. You know, that life on Mars is very difficult to maintain. Nobody would say that. So how no. come we're caught making the same arguments about a, it's something that invariably ends up being worthy of commercials and, you know, women melt at the sight of a baby, men smile and stop, you know, turn off their stern face and start using a high-pitched voice. If it eventually ends up being something that everyone around wants to hold, pick up, caress, and wishes they had more of, then how is it that we're so brutal to it when it's inside of the mother? Well, I agree with you. And, you know, if you say this is a parasite, well, so is malaria. So is toe fungus. So is a tape. <laughs> and, you know, uh, if if you want to put a, a fetus or an embryo into that category, then I think I think you need to go back to biology 101 and go back to health class. I mean, this is this is crazy. This is that you cannot equate uh, a, a growing embryo with a parasite that's attacking your body. I mean. The baby's not attacking the body. 
<laughs> you know? Well, actually, uh, and you're a physician because I've, I've been wondering about this. I saw a piece, and of course, I tried to save it on my phone, got distracted, and didn't, and, and, and I didn't save it. It was an article that said uh, something about when a mother gets sick with a specific disease while she's pregnant, the baby sends uh, stem cells through the umbilical cord to the mother to help her heal. What what is what is it that's wrong with the mother when that happens? Uh, you got me there. Um, I, I just it was an article that, and I I was like oh, I got to save this, and then I don't yeah, remember what happened. Mail it to me. You got my email and my text. Send that to me. Yeah. I'll take yeah, yeah I, I was. I just. But I mean, there, there's so much for us to learn. So much more for us to learn about how um, babies, when they're in the womb, how they interact with their mother, and there's just so much joy in so many parents out there in America who are infertile, who would happily take on a baby, um, and we just don't. We don't do the right thing. We're not doing the right thing so here. It's difficult to adopt. So uh, maybe less so now, but it's been difficult. We need to take a look at that. And, uh, it's it's a tough thing, but you're right. I mean, uh, one of the radiologists, she's several months pregnant now, and uh, she's showing, and I said, how's he doing? Because she already knows, you know, took a look mm-hmm. at the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And she says, the poor little guy's got hiccups. Half the night I feel so bad for him, and I don't know what to do. I can't stop his hiccups. I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, he's got hiccups. Well, I mean, you know, that you suck your thumb. And, I mean, even at, even very early on, there's – thumb sucking and purposeful movements. And, you know, we think that babies are, are purposeless in their movements. I have a 19 year old who, when he was born, had a problem. He was in the intensive care unit for 10 days. He pulled out every line, every IV. We were sitting there starting an IV, two nurses and I, one nurse had the left arm putting the line in his, the needle in his hand. The other was holding his body and I was holding his legs. No sooner than that needle got in there, this is an eight-day-old baby. He reached over there, snatched that thing right out. Mm-hmm, of course, because he's like, this is foreign. And uh, by the way, it also hurts. Uh, very uncomfortable. I want this out. And without even thinking, his involuntary reflexes, yanking that out. As soon as they let an arm free, he's getting it out of there. That's yeah, a it, new baby who's doing that. So we, we know how they are. Doing that in the womb. They're yeah. pushing you know, if they're, if they're uncomfortable, they're kicking and pushing. If they're twins, they're fighting. Yes, it was one of our children, um, it's our oldest, our daughter, she had found her way around in my stomach and kind of lodged one of her feet. That it was near my rib cage, and she stayed like that for about six weeks. And I could not, nothing I could do could get her to shift herself around so she wasn't like that. And after a while, I just got used to the kind of, it was really uncomfortable and I remember as a baby, she would just, she would find her way into a comfortable position if I was, if she was on my lap or, you know, it's just amazing how intuitive they are. They're just, they're, they're alive and they're thinking and they're moving and they're, they're not, it's not, there's no way possible it could be just a parasite because parasites actually end up killing the host. That, that's the nature of a parasite is that it actually doesn't just live off of the host. It is detrimental to the host and at some point kills the host. Babies don't kill their mothers. It's just, it's not an accurate description. No, it's not. I mean, there are times when, uh, when the uh, mother's health and, and, and ability to survive the pregnancy uh, are significant, and, and then I think it's okay to go ahead and therapeutically uh, abort the baby to save the mother's life. And I think in rape and incest, because it's, uh, 
it's it's really in in my medical and and uh, training and forty years of observation experience see that uh, you know those kids are are often not wanted or welcome and mistreated. Now, of course, they could be adopted. That's an alternative, and certainly the the more uh, conservative people on this issue will say, well, why not just let them be adopted? And I think that there's going to be some psychiatric issues, and of course, with incest, you're going to amplify any negative uh, genetics. Uh, that's why we have the incest taboo. So we have to stop and think about in those situations and in medical situations, what's in the best interest, not only of the mother, the baby, but the community at large? Because we are herd animals, and we have to think about that. We have to think about well, sure. I mean, the the, the incidents of uh, rape and incest, and you know that that it results in, or I should say, health of the mother. It's like one point seven percent, isn't it? It's really low. Like it's, it's, it's a small percentage. less than two percent. Um, the, the, the health of the mother and technology has advanced so much that oftentimes there's another alternative, especially since babies can survive outside of the womb after 20 weeks. So you don't have to abort if the health of the mother is the, you know, the, the driving factor, other things can be done. But even if we just got it to a place, I'm, I'm willing to uh, lay aside my fervency on pro-life to say, if we could get the left to agree to, eliminate abortion and the possibility of it in anything except rape, incest, health of the mother, I'd be willing to take that as a step because that would eliminate 95% or more of the abortions in this country. And then we could discuss, you know, because there, there are 80,000 people in this country, in, in, in America, who are alive today who are the result of rape. These people are alive, and they have, they've married, they've had children, and they're, yeah. because the circumstances of their birth were horrible, they still were able to make it out and survive and it's, are now parts of their family. No doubt about that. We've got Roseanne on the line, and she wants to say that no one ever sees an abortion, and if they did, they would be horrified. Uh, Joe, do you still have Roseanne on? Yes, we do. Roseanne, good morning. Thank you for calling the program. Yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah, that's something that's troubled me. Um, that is so barbaric, and uh, I think if most people witnessed this, it would, there would be an outrage. First of all, they shouldn't be removing babies uh, six months. They do. Uh, after, I'm, not, I'm not for abortion, but if, they're, if we have the laws on and they have to do it, uh, why, not they, why, don't they, why don't they remove the baby and, and put it out peacefully like we do hardcore criminals? Why do we have to dismember them? And it's just this horrible. Yes. And, and they say they don't feel pain. They do. Of because course. we had a nurse at our parish witnessing it, and she said she could never, ever witness it again, that their little hands were clenching. And it's, it's horrible. And we're permitting this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's, it, should, it should be stopped. And uh, I, I think that the politicians who are for it, they're just playing to a public and a sentiment and to the press, which has been in support of this. And if you read Dr. Nathanson's uh, book on this and his brief, it's just amazing. I mean, they knew exactly what to do. They hammered the press. They vilified the Catholic Church, which had reasons to be vilified, but certainly not on this issue. Uh, they did a lot of things that were highly manipulative and uh, geared to change 
uh, it was deceptive. The number of abortions that were being performed in the 1950s was maybe a tenth or a twentieth of what Dr. Nathanson and the pro-life movement were saying. They made up statistics, and he eventually went the other way and actually converted to Catholicism in the 1990s. Now, I was raised Catholic with a Jewish father, so to me it's like going from the frying pan into the fire if you go one way or the other, but you know, the, he, he made a statement anyway, and I'm not sure about the, uh, of course, I always have questions about people who will lie and cheat and uh, mislead and then uh, years later say, oh, geez, I'm sorry I was wrong. You know, I mean, after like, it was like McNamara during the Vietnam War, after 40,000, 30, 40,000 kids were killed, he turns around and says, I made a mistake. The war's not good. It's bad. So, you know, do your homework in front and be honest. But I agree with you. There's a barbarity to it that uh, is not uh, commensurate with our level of technology and our social mores. And I think, as Stacy was pointing out, things are going to change in the future, and they have to change. And, and as our technology becomes more uh, precise and we're able to do more things, we're going to have to stop and look at not only the issue of abortions, but also what do we do about genetically engineered human beings? Is that part of the, our morals and values? How will this be handled? What if you manipulate uh, and cure diseases by replacing organelles inside the eggs? I mean, there's a whole lot of things that are opened up, but first... We have to graduate from this level of barbarity before we can move on to really ethically uh, addressing the future of genetics. I mean, it's it's a big issue. I agree with you. Very exciting things. I mean, that, all of those things you just named are, are extraordinarily fascinating, and that's it would, be, it would be wonderful to get to focus on those things instead of basically we're watching it's the degeneration of our society that we would not have millions of people rising up at the knowledge that humans are being sold for their parts, that they're being picked through an applied plate by well, uh, technicians. You know, it's amazing yeah. that we don't have that. We do. We have millions, but we're, we're just, you know, people are at that point where they're saying, you know, I don't make a difference. It doesn't matter because my voice is not heard, and there's some despair here. And I think Stacy's saying is we don't have to despair. We just got to keep plugging along. If I'm if I'm quoting you right, Stacy, I think that's what yeah. I I do. I, I mean, I do. You know, Doctor Bill, I, I'm talking about the kind of uprisings where you see people are calling into work and taking their vacation days and in an organized, peaceful fashion, stopping our everyday routines to protest about this thing with Planned Parenthood, these videos. That's what I'm talking about. I, I understand there are millions of us who are pro-life who are upset by this, and we're, we're, doing, you know, we're doing our online social media, but we're also still going to work, and we're buying groceries, and you know, kids are still going to school. And we, we haven't said this stops today, you know, marching on Washington to get the Democrats and the politicians who are stopping the defunding of Planned Parenthood to force them to shut it down, kind of like what we saw with Occupy Wall Street or what we saw with in Wisconsin, where they tried to shut the entire government of the state of Wisconsin down over a simple uh, increase in participation fees for health insurance for public employee unions. I mean, we're talking about a teensy little increase that saved the, federal, the, the state government a lot of money, and they tried to shut the entire government down there because they would not be told to pay a little bit more for their own health insurance. That's what I'm talking about us as a nation doing 
in response to the knowledge that Planned Parenthood, in partnership with our own government, spends $716 million a year. They get money from our federal government for these baby parts because the federal government uses them for scientific research. I mean, it's such a tangled web of money and taxpayer dollars going in and out of this place for the most barbaric things. And researchers who are who who have uh, placed ethics behind their desire to obtain knowledge. So that you know, it's at all levels. Uh, it's it, it's really a, a shame. But I, I want to point out that uh, to Roseanne that you know this show. I don't. My advertising doesn't pay for the hour. So if some of this is coming out of my pocket. And you say, well, yeah, but you're pushing your practice. Well, this is a very small area, St. Petersburg. Uh, and, of course, we always are happy to have the Canadians, and we push that. But there are a lot of us out there that are putting in our own time and money, as Stacy pointed out. And I'll also say this, and I've said it before, over, and I'll say it over and over again. We have forgotten how to boycott. We have mm-hmm. forgotten how to boycott. You know, if the top 5% of, of wage earners rose up and said, we're not paying our taxes this year until you make the uh, people under 50000 at least pay 100 bucks or 200 bucks in federal withholding a year, then we're not going to pay our taxes. The government would shut down. Because they can't arrest us all. And that's people always tell me when I've said that before, I have said that same thing, Dr. Bill. <laughs> and people look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, well, they would arrest us. They'd seize our bank accounts. They'd do this and that. And I, I always tell them, this is the same IRS that's using Windows 2007 on computers from, uh, I don't know, uh, they're also 2007 computers. I mean, we're, we're talking about a federal government that's so bloated and spends so much of its time watching pornography and creating conference videos and going on trips that if we, if it just like you said, the top 5% in an organized fashion simply did not file their taxes, they would notice. And they'd say, well, it's not just, we're talking about millions of Americans who just have simply said, we're not filing an extension, we're not paying our taxes until you equalize the system. We're paying 90%. The top 5% pays, what, 90% of all the taxes? It's oh, ridiculous. Yeah. And, and when I look at my tax bill, and I understand that there are people out there who have a phone because I have an extra fee on my phone bill, and they also don't have to work because we pay so much in taxes, it drives me up the wall. It's the worst month of the year for me, April, because I have to look at the truth of how we're living here in this country, enabling full, able-bodied adults to just sit around and watch reality television all day and vote. It's, I, it's ridiculous. I got to tell you this story. My little sister, she's uh, left of, of uh, Karl Marx. She was move, moveon.org, and she worked for Obama's campaign. And back when Bush had that two or $300, $400 uh, cash incentive that they sent out to everybody, quote, quote, everybody, you remember that? Are you old enough to remember that? Mm, no. I don't know that if I... Four, five, six, right when the recession was starting. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. Yes, yes. So my sister called me. She said, Billy, did you get your money yet? I said, what money? She says, you know, President Bush is sending everybody out a check. I got my 400 or whatever it was. I said, what? I'm the one who's paying for that, Beth. They don't send me money. They take my money. That <laughs> You don't work. Uh, you You get subsidized by me. And she says, well, that's the way it should work. Of course, it sounds good when it's your brother and you get to say, you know, yeah, that's that's what I want to do is get money, you know, from people like him because they can afford it. But the fact is, the money that they take from you to give to people who are sitting at home, you could have used that money to buy luxury goods or services 
or put someone else to work at your house doing some jobs or put someone else to work outside of your house doing something for you. And that is the difference between the upper income earners. They usually use a good portion of their money in the economy employing other people to do things for them, where lower income people use goods and services. They purchase things for themselves. And so you're creating jobs with your money and lower income people are not. So does that mean lower income people shouldn't have money? Of course not. It just means they shouldn't be taking money from those who would use that money to create more jobs. It's so simple. I don't understand why nobody gets it. Well, I think that part of the problem is that there's a real emotional uh, issue there when, when you see somebody who is struggling or destitute or doesn't have something, or at least they appear to not have something that you have that they feel they need, uh, there's a big guilt trip. And I think that a lot of the liberals feel very guilty about doing well, uh, but other people not doing so well. And you see it every day. You see you see the bums on the street, and who stops and, and gives them money? Well, it's the, the conservatives. Because I, I, I give all the time to the people who are on the street. I should, always give them money. Don't do that. You're just feeding their alcohol and drug habits. Let them get in. To send them to an AA meeting, send them to an NA meeting, and if the small percentage who are psychiatrically disturbed—that is, uh, schizophrenics and manic depressives—tell them to go get back on their medicines. I mean, we—I'm in this business. I deal with it all the time. I never give them money. I got a good story. When I first opened my office in St. Pete, there was a bum. There was a bunch of bums, and they were panhandling right out of big one of the intersections, biggest intersection in the area near my office. And so one day I followed one. I didn't have much to do. So I followed this guy all around. He didn't see me. He'd get enough money. He'd walk over to the grocery store and they had a liquor store next to it. He'd get a bottle and they'd sit out under the shade trees, hidden from everybody, drinking. They'd go back out and buy more money. The end of the day, I followed them. They went over to 46th Avenue North. They all jumped in a, it looked like a Camaro or a Firebird. Not a brand new one, but it ran well. I followed them downtown. They went to the shelter, got a free meal, crashed for the night, get back up to it the next morning. So, the, the, you know, the myth of the needy bum is, is just that. Uh, certainly there are people on the street who need help, and there are families who have been displaced, and, and that we need to make sure we have shelters for them. But the most of the families who are displaced has to do with alcohol, drugs, and the secondary violence that goes along with it. So, oh, interesting. Mm. Oh, listen, guys, I'm gonna. My bladder's getting full. So, Stacy, can you stay on the line, my dear? Roseanne, give Joe your name and your address and all that, and we'll send you a twenty-five dollar gift certificate. And I'll be right back. You stay with me, Stace. Okay. All righty. All right, I gotta go pee. Bye. I'll be right back. Yeah. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Diplomacy continues in the border village of Panmunjom, where senior officials from North and South Korea have begun a second round of talks to reduce tensions that have led the countries to the brink of military confrontation. Authorities in three countries have had their eye on the armed man who was tackled by passengers on a train traveling from Amsterdam to Paris this past week. Officials say the 26-year-old Moroccan has ties to radical Islam. Firefighters in north-central Washington state are facing a daunting task. They continue to battle a complex of large wildfires that scorched 355 square miles. The challenge is so great, fire officials are asking for volunteers to help. 
And a fire department spokesman says two planes have collided in an air show in northern Switzerland. And at least one of the planes crashed after the impact. It's all we know at the moment. This is SRN News. Dennis Prager wants the left to think big picture. Wendy's, like McDonald's, is deciding that they can't afford $15 an hour. And so what they will do is put kiosks. You will have virtually no interaction with a human being. Because human beings are too expensive. Thanks to liberals. This should be one of the mottos of the left. We don't care what happens next. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right after Mike Gallagher at 9 on AM 860. The Answer. Around here, we've worked hard to figure out what it is you want and what you need from a station, then give it to you. That's why we started calling ourselves AM860, The Answer. We strive every day to be the answer to every question in your head. But we always want to know more about how we can serve you better. So, if you're a loyal listener, be looking for an email with a survey. If you fill it out and help us figure you out, you could win 5000 bucks. That can answer a lot of questions. AM860, The Answer. We've been hearing a lot about Uber lately, so we decided to get out there and talk to some actual Uber partners to get our questions answered. Is signing up to drive with Uber really hard? Nope. Signing up with Uber is super easy. It was simple and easy. Okay, but can I drive my own car? Yes, yes, yes. You get to drive your own car. But my roommate doesn't even have a car. Can she drive with Uber? They can help her get a car, too. I wouldn't be able to get a vehicle if it wasn't for Uber. It took me less than six hours to get a car. So you could just sign up and earn money. Sign up, drive, and you make some money. You're saying... I can just use the smartphone app to make money whenever I want? Yeah, you just open the app whenever you feel like driving. All I have to do is turn on my phone, hit the road, and I start making money. Are the hours good? I work less hours and I make more money. I'm my own boss now, so I set my own hours. Okay, this all sounds pretty great. What do you think I should do? You need to sign up for Uber. You can make serious, life-changing money when you drive with Uber. Get started today at drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. DriveWithUber.com. Today will be a mix of sun and clouds with a thunderstorm in the afternoon. The high will be 91. Thunderstorms will be in one or two spots this evening. Otherwise, tonight will be mainly clear. The low will be 78. And then Monday will be partly sunny with a couple of afternoon and evening thunderstorms. Monday's high will be 92. And that's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Sally Sherman for AM860, The Answer. Back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. We've got a really good conversation going with Stacy Washington, conservative radio show host in St. Louis, Missouri, who's been so gracious to join me today. And we're talking about Planned Parenthood, the funding thereof, and we have spun off into a dozen other related issues and topics. Stace, how you doing? Great. I'm loving talking to a doctor on a Sunday morning about all things important to Americans. It's fun. <laughs> well, I'm going to send a bill out to everybody, you know, because this is a house call. So oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody in the United States has to give me 20 bucks. Hey, that's not a bad call. 20 that's, bucks from 314 million Americans? Not bad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cheap doctor visit. You got a whole hour of me. I know. 20, 20 bucks wouldn't even cover 15 minutes on, uh, in person, correct? Yeah. Oh, no, Lord, no. We have to make 350 $350 an hour minimum to keep the doors open of the office. That's before I take a pay, paycheck home. People don't understand the the uh, cost behind running uh, 
you know, a busy practice with cardiology and x-ray diagnostics and all kinds of abilities. They just take it for granted, but you can't take it for granted. It's, it's costly to run a, a practice like mine, and it's costly to run any practice, and it's costly to educate physicians. You're talking about three to 400000 which is probably 10 times what it costs to educate a lawyer. And guess who pays that for the most part? You and me with our taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to get back to the uh, abortion issue for a few minutes. Uh, and I did want to touch on a few things that the pro life people say that I agree with. It's uh, adoption is a viable alternative to abortion and accomplishes the same results. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that want to adopt, and I think that that's a really, a, a really good point to make, that we have that in our society. We have people who are interested and who will certainly step up to the plate. And you say, well, you're giving somebody who's not genetically related to somebody else. Well, you know, I mean, that's true, and there are going to be bumps in the road, but there's bumps in the road even with, with your own genetic kids. I mean, you've got how many kids we have three children, and uh, yes, there, there, there is no perfect solution to any problem. And I think it's, it's really uh, naive and immature to buy into the liberal uh, mantra of trying to create a utopia out of every situation, because that's what they've claimed in the past. Abortion will create a utopia where there are no more, uh, you know, developmentally disabled people and there are no more people who need you know wheelchairs and things like that because you abort the the people who would be a burden on society for their own good and for the good of society and what's ended up happening is you have millions of women in america who are post-abortive and they have higher incidences of suicide and depression they have higher incidences of divorce they have a harder time mothering their children they have a harder time conceiving and so the the solution to a quote-unquote problem has yielded to a, a number of unintended consequences, and yet the liberals still press on and hold tightly to this ideal that they can somehow abort their way into a civilization that is a utopia. And they cannot. The government won't yield to the utopia, and all of it is going to fail because we're talking about interacting with human beings who are flawed and defy most problem-solving. So we're, we're to do the best with what, that we can with what we have, as opposed to seeking a utopia. We cannot create one here on Earth. Well, also, who you're describing is Hitler and the Nazis. This is exactly what they they did, and it goes back to the eugenics of the 1920s and 30s, which was uh, supposed to be the new science that was going to save hu- the human race and make us all smarter. And, of course, it didn't work, and uh, Hitler, unfortunately, uh, he got into power, uh, much the same way that the that the liberals have gotten into power here with people just not paying attention to the issues or being swept up by the emotions of it rather than by the logic or illogic. And this is exactly what he said. He said we should kill the people in society and abort the babies that have developmental problems if they're retarded, mm-hmm. they're handicapped. And, uh, unfortunately, what that deprives us of is an opportunity to see if we can improve on people with disabilities, their status, and I think that that technology, just like NASA or like any uh, advanced uh, front-edge cutting technology, is is going to do nothing but help us. 
as human beings, as a species. And ultimately, that's why we're here. We're here to make sure that our species survives and that our children have a better uh, environment in which to survive than, than we did. So I, I don't see that uh, uh, people with disabilities, birth defects, et cetera, are, are something to be ignored or to be aborted or to be institutionalized, although there's times when you have to. I see this as a challenge. This is something we can fix. And we are fixing a lot of things. We have learned to fix a lot of genetic diseases. And we'll continue to. And now with our unraveling of the human genome and our genetic engineering, we are on the verge of conquering so many different diseases. And I'm afraid that we'll lose that opportunity if we cut the funding to this kind of research. And this also depends upon people who have problems that we can investigate. I mean, that's, that's the whole that's the whole idea. We're, we're trying to make things better for us. Uh, well, sure. Um, but I, I'm, I, I'm from, the, you know, a different train of thought. I, and I respect science and I understand that, you know, all of these things work together. But I, it's my belief that we exist to glorify God and to, you know, experience his presence forever. And so I, I view the human beings who come in all different shapes and packages as a part of the diversity, not the kind of diversity that seeks to say everyone's different and let's respect our differences, but that we are all the same in the human condition and that we all have afflictions and needs that can only be satisfied by understanding our relationship with the planet that we live on and the God of the universe, which obviously we're all related in that aspect. So when we engage in abortion so that we can snuff out people who have disabilities or people who aren't born perfect, we ignore the fact that we ourselves are not perfect. So yeah. it, all of it works together. And I think, yep. as you said, when we focus on the abortion, we ignore all of the other good things that come from having people around us who have afflictions and diseases so that we can care for each other. It's, it's, it just it baffles the mind, but we have to keep fighting so that we can end these things, so that we can get back to, as you said, mapping the human genome. How much more fascinating is that than watching these horrific Planned Parenthood videos and understanding the depravity that exists due to taxpayer funding? Yeah, I agree. You know, it's just ridiculous. But there's, there's, there's so much exciting going on in the world of genetics research, medicine, cancer, uh, therapy treatment it's just unbelievable so and you know it's whether whether you believe in a god that is actively and consciously uh, directing the universe or whether you believe that god is a an amalgamation of all the physical and biological and chemical laws either way you look at it it, it comes down to the same thing that that life has a longing for itself that we have to have respect and sanctify it and that uh, this includes even the smallest, as Jesus would say, whether you believe Jesus was God or not. Uh, Jesus and Buddha, they had a pretty good rap. I mean, they sound like pretty good guys. And, you know, they were there saying, don't hurt anything. Don't hurt anybody. Nothing wrong with that. That's tough for a lot of people to do and live by. But, I, you know, I agree in theory. It's a great, it's a great philosophy and way of life. First, do no harm. That's our charge. First, do yeah. no harm. And, and if we could just get people to see that, we'd be light years ahead of where we are now. <laughs> well, part of the problem, too, Stacy, is that a lot of the young doctors have rejected the traditional Hippocratic Oath because of one reason or another. The Muslims will reject it because they think it's polytheism, and uh, the Jews will reject it because they think it, it, 
uh, takes away from their one God. But, you know, I read it and I say that uh, what it says is I have to have respect for everybody's beliefs. And being raised Catholic, that's what we were taught. You know, even though we know we're right, we still have to respect somebody else's belief. But uh, and the second thing it says is first do no harm or the first thing. And then the second thing it says is you got to respect everybody. You can't have sex with your patients. You don't do abortions. You don't cross your specialty lines if you're not trained. You know, there's a whole a whole list of things in there that make good sense. People say, oh, that was 2,500 years ago. We've changed. No, we haven't. We, have, we may have more technology. We may have more knowledge. Our brains may be getting bigger. But the basic emotions, the basic human interactions, the basic respect and lack of respect, war and peace, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. No, so, not at all. Are we still the same? We're still in the same condition we were in, and we still need to work hard to fight against that that natural inclination to do uh, things that please ourselves, which the selfishness ends up hurting others. And that's what abortion is rooted in, and we've got to stop it. I agree. You know, I think that uh, saying I have a choice is is a little bit kind of un-American, really, because uh, if if we go to war, Dr. Bill doesn't have a choice. If the government says, I need you, I need you to man this clinic, even though you're too old to go overseas now. you got to stay here and, and, and work this clinic for the government. I do it. And if I don't, you know, if I'm a young guy and I'm drafted for a war and uh, I refuse to go, I'll go to prison. Uh, you know, I'll, I can say, well, I'm a conscientious objector. They'll say, fine, you can work in, the, in an aid station. But you cannot say in a time of war, no. And, you know, I think that we have to stop and think about all of us, even the women, as being under a same model and a same mode. And one of the one of the military things women do is have babies. I mean, I can't have them. Uh, I don't want to have any. I, I, I don't think I'd look good pregnant, but, uh, you know, we got to have somebody to have the babies. <laughs> somebody we need babies. We need babies. I mean, you know, who's going to pay my Social Security if we don't have any people well, behind us? Yeah, there's, there's that, and there's also, uh, you know, there's something about babies. So we were at this rally yesterday, and there were babies there, and there was one little fellow. He just reminded me so much of what my son was like when he was a baby. And I went over, and I squeezed his little, you know, the little calves are so so soft. They're like little marshmallows. And so I just squeezed <laughs> the, the calves gently. And he turned and looked at me and smiled. And I said hello to his mother, and she introduced herself, and I said hi. And then he just leaned over like, you can hold me now. And so I I took him, and I held him for a minute, and we were talking. And it just, it's like an instant rewind back to when your kids were small. And you remember so much when just holding a baby has that effect on, on I know it does on me. And I had so much fun. We stood there for about 10 minutes, and we just visited. And it was so much fun to hold a baby because I don't have any babies at home anymore. And it just it was so it was surreal to be standing outside of the Planned Parenthood protesting because of their, you know, barbaric activities, holding a baby and chatting, you know, it was the the rain had stopped, the sun was breaking through the clouds, and it was just a weird moment. And it's just testimony to the fact that we're we are all in this thing together. And we need each other. We need the babies, we need the older people, we need everyone. Um we we've got to stop this genocide that's going on so we can get back to what seems like simpler times, but it's always the same thing. It's, there's nothing new under the sun. And so, you know, 
I oh, just yeah. thought it was interesting that I was standing there holding. He's 13 months old. His name was Shiloh. He was so cute. He was just kind of, you know, like taking in all the sites, all the protest signs, the people standing around. And he was just there, you know, hanging out with his parents like, you know what? This is fine by me. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, you know, it's uh, you got to get your baby fixed. Now, one nice thing about being a grandparent is you can get your baby fixed, and then at the end of the day you can send them back home. So you oh, can... man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best of it. You know, they, they say that the grandchildren are, that's your reward for being a parent because you get grandkids. So. So you got to send our kids out and make sure they don't have abortions and that they give us babies because we That's need right. children. Well, you know, we I'm, need them. I've been saying, why are we importing Mexicans to work? I mean, we're just outsourcing our babies, basically. Uh, you bring it in. Well, yep. look at the, look at the numbers. Okay, so Dr. Bill, it is this, it, I think it always makes sense if you look at it from if you get the facts and then lay them out on the table. It all makes sense. We are currently our immigration, our legal immigration, is one million people a year. Americans have consistently in surveys and their voting patterns that we consistently point to wanting our, our legal immigration at around two hundred and fifty thousand a year. That doesn't include our refugee program through the UN, which sends us. 100,000 people a year, and these are people from refugee countries, mostly from the Middle East. They don't speak English, and they don't know anything about civilization, you know, paved roads, schools, social services, that stuff. Then we have illegal immigration, which is 400,000 a year, okay? So if you look at that, we're importing 1.5 million people a year, and we are assimilating almost none of them. So they come here, and they set up their own little communities within American society, and they expect to be treated as if they're in their country that they fled from, which are usually third world countries or like Mexico, pseudo countries, countries that don't even try to have a civilization that's worth anything. And then you look at Americans' birth patterns where we are consistently just below replacement rate at 2.3. So what are we doing? Well, we abort 1.1 million and then we bring in 1.5 million from foreign countries that hate us. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, like we, it's, it's like we're on the train to destruction. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, and I've said that before. So uh, I think that we have to be uh, diligent. Uh, those who are persuaded by religious arguments need to hear that from, from pro-life people like you and me, and those who are swayed by intellect, uh, by science and, and all of that, they need to hear from us too for, for the same reasons uh, to make sure that we stop this barbarity. I mean, we, we need to do something. Hopefully, we'll get a Republican president and a Republican House and Senate, and if they don't fight too much, maybe they can turn some of these things around. There's just not enough money there to make it uh, a, a, a real meaty political issue for for people on on the right or even on the middle i mean maybe on the left you're getting some money from from those organizations back like you said 15 million in donations to the democratic party candidates but that's not a huge sum of money i mean that you know we we have to think of this in terms of where's the cash baby where's the cash and the cash is going to be a lot more is going to be on the pro-life side if we get the right office. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show, Stace, and I really appreciate you calling in this morning. Joe's barking at me. You got 60 yeah. seconds. You know, what? I, I totally understand. On my show, I always run out of time. I always have more content than time. It's been great joining you this morning, and um, thank you so much for having me on to discuss these important issues. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for for helping me out. And best of luck to you. If you need me for anything, let me know. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. So we're getting close. <laughs> seconds. We got 30 seconds. Oh, my God. You guys listen here now. Dr. Bill is your Radio MD. We are the answer at 860WGUL.com. Again, we're an iHeart station. I want everybody to know that I'm here for you. Love you guys. Appreciate you. I really appreciate the call we got today uh, from our, our good friend, Roseanne. And, Roseanne, thank you for your generosity. I'm Dr. Bill. I guess I'm out of here, huh, Joe? I'm gone. And I'm back. Jeff Burchard right here, right now. It's auction time, Sunday.